Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. Pervoy Morich on today's news talk radio, TNT. Round two, we've got Leighton Radner coming up, host of Outlawed Thoughts. Uh, he's on Twitter, X at Liberty Leighton. And uh, find his YouTube channel, Outlawed Thoughts. What else is happening on the planet? U.S. residents must make $120,000 a year to afford a home in 2024, says a realtor. The old American dream died. He says, I think most of us in America would define the middle class as somebody who can work a 40-hour work week career and can have the income to purchase the average home in America, that's interesting. A lot of folks that I've been talking to in the U.S., maybe not a lot, but a number, you know, some of them are working now 60, 80, 100-hour weeks to make ends meet. Uh, he continues this realtor. A lot of us grew up middle class, and we watched what middle class was in the 80s and 90s as millennials. And nowadays, what has moved the goalposts more than anything is the housing market, he explained how just a few years ago, 60 to 70 grand a year would have been sufficient to qualify for a home. Uh, and so I'd agree with him that that is a good point. Um, again, part of the killing the middle class and introducing neo-feudalism. If you can't buy a home, you're going to rent forever. Not cool. Um, also, Daniel Lacal, Spanish economist, frequently featured on Zero Hedge. Uh, pretty good dude. He says massive money printing will accelerate as the debt soars and he concludes he says what does this mean for savers your dollars will be worth less real wages will continue to show poor growth and after tax disposable income will decline the only way to protect yourself i may not fully agree with this but anyways he says the only way to protect yourself is to find alternative real reserves of value agree he says from gold to bitcoin which will offset the monetary destruction that is about to accelerate so yeah, basically find alternative real reserves of value, like real stuff. Your and your you know your bank accounts those are digits only, and um, that's not really your money; it's the banks. Also, the E European Union is worried Red Sea attacks could spark inflation. Isn't that nice? They're always looking for scapegoats. Oh, it's it's the Red Sea attacks uh, that that caused that sparked inflation. Uh, the econ economy commissioner that sounds so soviet the, the eu economy commissioner paolo gentiloni warned that the violence in the red sea sparked by houthi attacks on shipping could push up energy prices and inflation in the block uh it's been really bad and it's just gonna get worse but i wouldn't say the primary reason was the red sea it's you freaks in brussels but uh Anyways, uh, John Whitehead of Rutherford Institute, he put out an interesting note. I didn't even know this. That in the U.S., you know, you've got the Census Bureau, but there's a mandatory survey. I guess they only interviewed three and a half million Americans annually, so I've never gotten it, I don't think. But now the Census Bureau is adding all these crazy questions about mental health and so psychosocial disabilities. I mean, they ask, like, how many people in your home, all of their names, they're, where do they work? How many hours do they work? Like all this crazy stuff. I guess it's mandatory. They say if they can't reach you by phone or email, they like stalk your house until they find you to serve you this uh, census to a couple of million Americans every year. 
So, uh, you know, if they can't find me out, hey, come on down to Mexico. Come serve me <laughs> here in Mexico. That's pretty crazy. The government just wants to know everything about you. Um, and there was this story that came out. Zero Hedge rewrote the headline. This was from, I think, CNBC. But NBC News admits deep state exists, basically, to save us from Trump's return. And Mike Benz, who does really great, great work, he says they're planning mass destabilizing riots of such a scale that only the National Guard can contain them and pre-planning a way to block Trump from activating the National Guard. It's definitely going to be a fascinating 2024, especially as we get closer to the selections. Um, interesting article from a former Mexican, was it ambassador, Mexico News Daily, North America should seize the day in World Cup 2026. He doesn't say it explicitly, but if you read between the lines, he confirms one of my theses. Again, the whole point of the World Cup 2026 being in Canada, USA, and Mexico is to promote the idea of a North American union. They have to work not only on the economic front, like uh, NAFTA or USMCA, which is NAFTA 2.0, or the political front, you know, integration, all this talk about migration and security, but they have to also work, work on the cultural aspect, which is, you know, football, uh, soccer, that whole thing and he, he kind of alludes to a lot to how the world cup is going to bring us all together as one big happy family family in north america between canada usa and mexico um also documents reveal jeffrey epstein's multiple passports for travel in middle east and africa he traveled a lot he often asked for multiple passports for these trips you see it's, it's always good to have multiple passports i've got three i don't know about you uh, if you don't even have one <laughs> what are you waiting for uh, and so um, that was uh, interesting. Guardian reports, the U.S. isn't the biggest power in the Middle East anymore. Iran is, with China and Russia as its allies. The authoritarian regime is assembling a Middle Eastern coalition as Washington's influence wanes. By the way, just this afternoon, Iran's Iran targeted anti-Iran terrorist positions in Iraq, in Erbil. So again, a lot of movement things heating up there russia sets new record for daily gas deliveries to china um again the rest of the world is moving forward kyrgyzstan you know they had a attempted western-backed uh, color revolution called the tulip revolution many years ago uh they just announced that they caught a businessman and an activist who were plotting a coup in kyrgyzstan which which looks like what would have been the color revolution 2.0 he said one of the guys was also a u.s citizen they were planning to stage mass riots uh and you know the usual sort of stuff so they've been arrested now and um germany's army preparing for a russian attack tens of thousands of german soldiers would be deployed um french Anthropologist Emmanuel Todd says NATO's defeat will be a victory for Europe. The American-Ukrainian defeat will pave the way for a rapprochement between Germany and Russia. And Britain is going to send 20,000 armed forces personnel to one of NATO's largest exercises since the Cold War. Uh, so a lot of crazy stuff is going. Lukashenko has come out and said that the Americans don't want multipolarity. They want to rule the world as they did after the collapse of the USSR. Ukraine, the Middle East today, the border of the Atlantic and Indian Oceans, the Houthis and others. I fear that this arc will continue across the Indian Ocean to Taiwan. The whole planet could catch fire. That's been exactly what I've been saying for the past, I don't know how many weeks, months, years. U.S. sending 1,500 troops to Syria and Iraq. It's getting pretty crazy. Uh, all right, a reminder that you can download the TNT Radio app so you can listen live from, get it from the Apple App Store or Google 
Play Store. Um, stay up to speed on TNT. Going 360 on the headlines. It's really well-balanced conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. According to the head of the International Mafia Fund, the IMF, artificial intelligence poses risks to job security around the world, but also offers a tremendous opportunity to boost flagging productivity levels and fuel global growth. Here with the story, joining me once again, TNT News producer Adam Clark, codename Ruckus. Thanks, Rory. I'm not 100% sure that's what IMF stands for. Somebody better fact check that. Uh, just kidding. Um, yeah, so I guess at the end of the day, uh, we might as well be consulting a psychic or messing around with a Ouija board, maybe shaking up that magic eight ball, or ultimately just flipping a coin because uh, it seems to be 50-50 here uh, in this report. Uh, this is all according to AFP. Uh, but the International Monetary Fund's managing director, Kristalina Georgieva, said that AI will affect 60% of jobs in advanced economies. She said this in an interview in Washington shortly before departing for the annual World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Okay, so. With AI expected to have less effect in developing countries, around, quote, 40% of jobs globally are likely to be impacted, end quote. That's what she said, citing a new IMF report. She went on to say, quote, and the more you have higher skilled jobs, the higher the impact, end quote. However, the IMF report published Sunday evening notes that only half of the jobs impacted by AI will be negatively affected. The rest may actually benefit from enhanced productivity gains due to AI. Georgieva said, quote, your job may disappear altogether. Not good. Or artificial intelligence may enhance your job, so you actually will be more productive and your income level may go up, end quote. The IMF report predicted that while labor markets in emerging markets and developing economies will see a similar, I'm sorry, see a smaller initial impact from AI, they are also less likely to benefit from the enhanced productivity that will arise through its integration in the workplace. Isn't that the tough breaks right there? George Eva told AFP, quote, we must focus on helping low-income countries in particular to move faster to be able to catch the opportunities that artificial intelligence will present. She said, quote, so artificial intelligence, yes, a little scary, but it is also a tremendous opportunity for everyone, end quote. Wait a minute, I thought they just said it wouldn't be necessarily for everyone. Regardless, the IMF is due to publish updated economic forecasts later this month, which will show the global economy is broadly on track to meet its previous forecasts, she said. Uh-huh. It is, quote, poised for a soft landing, end quote. And she added that, quote, monetary policy is doing a good job. Inflation is going down, but the job is not quite done. So we are in this trickiest place of not easing too fast or too slow, end quote. The global economy could use an AI-related productivity boost as the IMF predicts it will continue growing at historically muted levels over the medium 
term. Georgieva said, quote, God, how much we need it. Unless we figure out a way to unlock productivity, we, as the world, are not for a great story, end quote. And finally, Hervori Georgieva said, 2024 is likely to be, quote, a very tough year, end quote, for fiscal policy worldwide as countries look to tackle debt burdens accumulated during the COVID-19 pandemic and rebuild depleted buffers. I don't know how much, if anything, I want to believe coming from her mouth, but what do you think about this report? I can't stand the side of her. She's a top tier globalist. Um, and I think she knows what she's doing. She can't not know. Um, though she does have a point where she says your job may disappear altogether or AI may enhance your job so you actually will be more productive and your income level may go up. I think we're seeing that right now. Some people's jobs are disappearing. Uh, and for others, it's, it is enhancing their productivity. But I think their ultimate goal, I think, is to automate as much as possible to automate people out of jobs. I think that's what um, they really want and and uh, i didn't have time to mention this story ruckus but it was from spectrum iee -E, the global project project to make a general robotic brain 34 labs are teaming teaming up to tackle robotic learning robots from around the world including this robot from google are sharing data on object manipulation to help work towards a general purpose robotic brain i saw a clip uh today was it from one of elon musk's robot projects where there was a robot folding clothes now so it's going to replace the cleaning lady you got the Roomba you get the robot can now just fold clothes and so I I think that is their ultimate goal uh what do you think I call bogus on the Roomba by the way I've never had one until I don't have one but I in the house I moved into recently there's one available and I've tried using it and I observed that thing and Man, it's not as intelligent as any of this other scary AI they're trying to frighten everybody with. That's all I got to say. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. I'm very hesitant to believe anything coming from these uh, international bodies of unelected folks such as uh, this lovely lady. Um, but isn't it? I, I, I was kind of only half kidding when I say like they're just they're just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what's going to stick. I mean. Talk about a cover your butt either way. Like, well, hey, you could lose your job or things could get better. Oh, please. Anybody could have told us that, Harori. What a joke. I think that is a good point that they are just throwing whatever they can to see whatever it works. So this dystopian future is not exactly as they sell it to us. So there's there's some hope there. There's some good news. Uh, and I'm with you on the Roombas, first of all. I just would I don't do not feel never felt comfortable having any smart stuff in my home uh and I think I could do a much better job cleaning than a Roomba and I just wonder because they're like cir circle how do they get the corners you know they have to be like square to get the the corners and again they're mapping out your your home um taking all sorts of data no thanks I like doing things the analog way but it's a good exercise as well cleaning your own house sweeping vacuuming think of it as exercise you know so, so all right ruckus uh have a wonderful rest of your monday we've got uh leighton radner 
joining us right after this. You should hear what Ross Cameron is talking about. I see there's a new trend taking place, sweeping uh, the internet of what they're calling sort of technology naked walks, where you go for a walk without your iPhone, without uh, a headset, and just alone with your thoughts. Apparently some people are finding it quite emotionally taxing, but subsequently liberating. Uh, certainly I find if I get into a motor vehicle with a teenager, it's a matter of seconds uh, before there is a request for uh, usually the latest uh, Taylor Swift song or some other form of electronic stimulus. We are generation apparently trained uh, for a very short concentration span and a desperate need for um, digital company. Ross Cameron on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. We're joined for the first time on this Rebel Transmission by Leighton Radner, host of Outlawed Thoughts, editor of the Tower Gang podcast, Alaskan historian. Find him on Twitter, X, at Liberty Leighton, or youtube.com slash Outlawed Thoughts. Welcome to TNT, Leighton. Thanks for having me. I I can't recall where, but I stumbled onto you and your work somewhere recently. Um, I think you were a guest on a podcast, and I enjoyed it um, very much. You're talking about Alaska, and uh, but b- before getting your thoughts on uh, on things, if you want to tell us a bit about uh, the work that you do. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, on the, the sort of uh, political side, I do stuff with the Libertarian Party over here in Alaska. I'm the comms director for them, uh, for the state party. And then I do just some random event surfing. Uh, I'll show up at random stuff around the United States uh, to kind of show support for other people. But um, I write... Uh, scripts primarily and then I got into editing to kind of turn those scripts into videos and so with that I started the YouTube channel um I created a, a documentary kind of 45 minute video that was sort of the first big piece that I did which was on a a guy named Joe Vogler who was a political figure in the past here in Alaska and um I've done a few others and I have a few others that I've got I'm working on now uh, that'll be sort of similar to that. All right. Yeah, I've had a number of libertarian folks uh, on the program as well. Uh, M- M- Mike Tiermatt, who's running as a presidential candidate. Uh, Jeffrey Kaufman uh, of Odyssey, well, formerly of Library, um, who was running out there in New Hampshire. Uh, I, I can't remember. I just so many people I talked to. Yeah. But, you know, Alaska is fascinating because um, that was one place about 15 years ago that I was looking to, to move to you know when i finished my grad studies i was looking for jobs all over the place and i, I was v- very interested in, in in going to live in alaska experience alaska uh i ended up in mexico uh but um if you could tell us a bit about because uh, we don't hear about it much and it's for me it's a fascinating place alaska there have been a few films over the years that have brought attention to alaska like that guy i forget his name who passed um he, he went out into the wild i think it was called uh, 
uh, Into the Wild, that's uh, a grizzly man is another one that's often talked mm-hmm. about. Um, but it, yeah, no, go ahead, sir. No, just just to get your thoughts on you know what's happening in Alaska now, Alaskan politics, um, and and you know anything else that's interesting. Um, well, as far as the political side of things go, it's pretty chaotic recently. Um, it's it's become sort of a shift of uh, sort of um, Alaska was insulated in a way by a lot of the political turmoil that you see in a lot of the other states and the national political scene. Um, but recently, I'd say in the last 10, 20 years or so, that's sort of taken a turn for the worse where things have sort of gotten a lot more bureaucratic uh, over the the, those last kind of 20 years. But as far as um, other things go, I mean, it's it's still a very interesting place to live or visit because there's um, still the ability to have a lot of, uh, you know, small population. There's only 730,000 people here roughly uh, in a state that's, you know, bigger than twice the size of Texas. So there's a lot of space to spread out. So if you're one of those people who are into kind of the homesteading lifestyle, you're into that kind of stuff, Alaska makes a lot of sense. It is a place that um, pulls people in, right? It interests a lot of people, but it is a very harsh environment. It's not something that uh, is easy to get into. You have to be definitely, I think, prepared to live somewhere like that because uh, unless you're in one of the major cities, which sort of defeats the purpose of living in Alaska, in my opinion, uh, you have to be prepared to not have access to, to things as often as you might in those cities. So, uh, and just harder to build, harder to do certain things. Uh, but things are a little bit cheaper as far as land goes if you live in those areas. So, What's the state of freedom like living in Alaska? I know between different states, uh, it varies. I mean, you've got things to, that, you you know, people can think about, like in, income taxes. There are states that don't charge uh, in, income tax and others that do, which is why people like people are fleeing California now. I guess they're introducing an exit <laughs> exit tax uh, and then all sorts of bureaucratic things. You know, I've read I forget which states it was in, uh, whether it was Dakotas or Montana's or Wyoming's, maybe even Alaska. Like there were laws where you, you, you can't collect your own rainwater or um, laws that w- were restricting hunting for meat or, or selling meat that you hunted or even even gifting meat that you've hunted to to neighbors and what sort of the the state of uh, you know how free is life in alaska well um i'd say you kind of have to separate that into two living conditions um the the, the those being the city sort of uh, living environments and then outside the city Uh, Inside the cities, you're going to have a lot more law enforcement and you're going to have a lot more enforcement in general for those kind of restrictions. Um, But depending on where you're at in Alaska, there's just not enough enforcement to really catch everybody who's doing things they're not supposed to. So uh, the reality of life in Alaska can sometimes be different than what's on paper from a legal perspective. Uh, As you travel around the state, you get a real feeling that it's uh in the smaller communities you kind of you do what you want and as long as there's no one to tell anybody then you're fine kind of attitude uh but as far as restrictions go and 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 as just general liberty um you know the gun laws here are really good so you you've got strong uh second amendment protections there's no permit to carry 
Um, there's open or concealed carry hunting. Um, if you're from the state of Alaska, you have a pretty easy time. If you're from outside the state, good luck, uh, because they don't, they don't really care much for people coming out outside the state to hunt. And so there's like a lottery system to get tags and things like that. And it can be a pretty big hassle. Um, the biggest, I'd say, infringement on liberty within Alaska over the last 15, 20 years has been property. Um, and that comes from the federal government. It comes from the state government as well. But the biggest problem, I think, um, liberty-minded folk would have with the, the situation is that the federal government has basically defanged the state government. They don't really have a way of enforcing anything at this point. And so um, Alaska is 60% owned by the federal government. Um, about, you know, uh, about 37%, I believe it is, or 36% or of it is owned by the state. Uh, and then there's uh, less than like one or two percent that's somewhere in that range that are actually privately owned land. Uh, so there isn't uh, much to go around because even in a state that's this big, you have sort of a situation where resources uh, are really valuable from the federal perspective. And so if you've got all this open land that no one's living on, they just look at that as a money sign. Uh, so you have the national park systems and all these things that come in and, and, and take control of that area. And so that's driven up the prices on housing. Uh, it's driven up the prices because nothing new is being built because there's no new land to get a hold of to build it. Uh, and so the cities are becoming more congested. Um, I think similar to what you see in a lot of metropolitan areas. And so I definitely think it's worse in the cities now than it's probably ever been, in my opinion. And that's uh, even going back to the, you know, sort of shoot 'em up Western days. It's it's pretty bad. Yeah, and I, I've had I've, I have heard Washington, you know, the White House um, talking about how they want. To, I, I forget what what the exact programs were called related to the whole climate agenda. Um, in the name of the climate agenda, they've been wanting to confiscate more and more. Um, land for quote you know, conservation purposes uh, and leaving us with less and it's it's interesting you just highlighted a trend um, I'm just all over the place uh, housing market the prices are going up and it's pricing out the middle class you know from Alaska to other people I've, I've had on in different all over the U.S. in Europe and Mexico and it's like this um, you know part of this whole great I, I keep talking about it the great reset project the neo-feudalism you know to wipe out the middle class and create like a two-tier system the rich uh, and the poor. Uh, real quick, uh, Leighton, we're going to jump to our headlines. And here's the news. Extra, extra. TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. U.S. Navy ships and aircraft combed areas of the Gulf of Aden for two missing U.S. Navy SEALs on Monday. As details emerged about their mission to board and take over a vessel carrying components for medium-range Iranian ballistic missiles headed for Somalia. Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney Fannie Willis, who brought charges against former President Donald Trump on election interference, claims allegations brought against her of having an improper romantic relationship with a prosecutor were made because they're black. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. 
We're talking to Leighton Radner uh, of Outlawed Thoughts on YouTube. Uh, find him on Twitter, X at Liberty Leighton. And someone asks in the chat, uh, Leighton, harp, right? The weather modification thing out in Alaska. I know Nick Begich, who's out, I think he's still out there in Alaska. Uh, he's a, a, of Croatian heritage, like myself. Um, he He's covered that a lot. Uh, have you studied that a lot? Is that something Alaskans talk about, uh, harp? So I've uh, I've taken some interest in it before, and um, I do have some stuff I've written about it for some future videos and stuff. It's a, it's an interesting topic because um, as much as they claim to be sort of open about what that whole program is and does, um, at least when it was being controlled by the government and not the uh, college that is a, has it now. Um, it's not really clear that that is what they were doing with it. And I think that's sort of where some of the concern comes from. My grandmother was actually uh, friends with one of the professors here in Alaska who was arguing with them originally about whether or not they should begin using it. Um, and I know Nick Begich has used some of his work before in his writings. And uh, I think Nick has a good reason to be concerned about stuff like that, because um, if anybody knows that story, his relative Nick Baggage Sr., the original Nick Baggage, um, vanished in a, a plane accident that no one's ever really found the cause of here in Alaska. The plane's never been found. And, um, and so I think he believes that... Uh, there was some kind of weird magnetism fields and stuff involved in that. I've read some of his stuff on that. And so he seems very interested in that kind of stuff. Uh, I have read one of the papers he put out. Yeah. Uh, you know, another reason uh, to check out Alaska, uh, Harp. And uh, I, I did want to get your thought on the state of the United Soviet States of America, as I call them. Um, so much is going on. It's, it's, it's getting crazy. There's talk of civil war. They're making civil war movies. Um, some people say there won't be elections. The economy sucks and our leaders want to take us to World War III. <laughs> How are you seeing things? Well, um, the whole Ukraine war, uh, Russia conflict, that definitely stirred up some um, sort of attention on my end to the whole war front. Uh, I've definitely been very anti-war and boisterous about that, my kind of activism and politics and stuff. But as far as the current uh, situation that's playing out, I think a lot of this is economic-based because um, everything here in the U.S. is so fragile right now on the economic basis that the federal government, uh, specifically the military industrial complex, they have to find something to distract people with. And uh, so the conflicts that they went with happen to be conflicts they already sort of had in the pan before, right? Uh, this being Ukraine having stuff going back to 2012 and, and Israel, Gaza, which has been going on forever at this point. Um, and so I think these are very convenient uh, for the military industrial complex. I think everybody kind of recognizes that on our side of things. So um, I think it's unfortunate, but uh, everybody kind of has to be prepared for not only economic collapse now, but bombs being thrown everywhere, which is sort of a, an insane proposition to keep up with. And and that's interesting. You're... you're um already like the second or third person that I've spoken to 
specifically come to that conclusion I, I had um uh Jeremy Ryan Slate who I've had uh, uh on the on the on TNT and on my podcast I was asking him these similar questions and he said a lot of this boiled down to the financial or economic the dollar um the debt system collapse and th that kind of explains a lot of a lot of other aspects like these wars and and uh, you know I, I do want to talk more about foreign policy but just going back to the economy um you know your thoughts uh, you know a lot of people say we're in this debt bubble that's going to burst and then worrying about the state of the dollar as a world reserve there's a lot of de-dollarization going on with the rest of the world which could eventually um you know knock the legs for out from under the dollar uh, and I, as I already mentioned I'm just seeing inflation wipe out the middle class you know you, your further thoughts on some of these uh, issues um, I, I would say on the economic side of things, I, I'm far more in favor of almost an accelerationist approach to things because my point of view, uh, take something like Javier Malay, right, where you had this huge inflation and I think that ultimately led to his election. I think in a similar way, um, you know, the state of Alaska has a lot of resources. We can bounce back from the economy completely coming out from under us because we've proven that, right? This place was built out of a gold rush, basically, that came out of nowhere. There wasn't any resources or infrastructure here to begin with. People built it. So it's proof positive it can be done again, and I think that can be done individually in every state. Uh, so I think you end up with a situation where it doesn't really matter if the economy blows up. It almost matters if we get it done now so that we can rip this Band-Aid off, get something rebuilt, either set a new currency or get somebody in power who can actually get things back on track. Um, I think we'd be in a much better position long term than just letting them play ping pong with the economy for the next uh, 10 years until it blows up. Yeah, I, I flirted with that idea of accelerationism. Just let the whole thing collapse and then... Uh, you know a lot of people that i took david morgan who i had on last week was talking along similar similar lines that what we're going to see going forward is things will be crashing collapsing and, you know i call it a global civil war because you're seeing ecuador papua new guinea riots collapse uh, i mean i can't even can't keep track of it there was another one this morning i have to look through my feed um i forget which which uh here it is poland now uh it says uh experts warn of civil war risk in Poland amid escalating political tensions. I had a guest on in the past, William I. Robinson, and he calls it the global civil war because it's a systemic financial crisis and then it leads to collapse of governments and, as you mentioned, well, they, them wanting to take us um, to war. And you, you mentioned a currency. Any thoughts on, there's all this talk of CBDCs, right? Central bank digital currencies and that being as one solution for the collapse. And uh, we've already seen what they can do with this sort of stuff you know i've had the dhs ban me from paypal uh, i've been taken off of patreon people are now getting their ba banks canceled their uh accounts and so any thoughts on uh central bank digital currencies uh, i'm definitely not a fan of it i do think it's something they're exploring the concepts of and that's very concerning because uh I think there's a concept that everybody has in their head with inflation uh, and i think again looking at Malay, this is something similar where you have a, a situation where, you know, everybody has that vision of people buying bagels with, you know, wheelbarrows full of money. And that that sort of scenario that uh, Weimar Republic, I believe, or whatever the, I believe that's the correct. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so 
everybody has that vision in their head of what that might look like. But if those are just numbers on a phone in your hand, right? It's sort of non-physical now. And I think it removes that element of the scare factor of what inflation is. And so I think it makes it very easy for them to trick people into believing everything's fine when really everything's on fire. Um, and so I think you end up in a situation where people have to kind of be against this. And I think ultimately the way that works is just the culture of everything. Like, I think there's enough old people that are still around that things like this are still hard for them to implement, frankly, because there's a, at least 20 or 30% of the population that just aren't going to do it. Uh, and so what do you do with those, those people? You kind of have to allow them to continue to use the hard currency. And so they're in a position now where I think it's something they might even be looking at implementing maybe 15, 20 years down the road, but they're at least going to get it in everybody's heads right now because then they can look at their roles and their censuses and kind of keep track of who's left, who's around that might be not okay with this and just wait. Yeah, I, I definitely see that coming. So it's, it's just a matter of time over the weekend. I went out for a nice steak here in Mexico. Uh, and and I, you mentioned like old people who won't get into the digital stuff. And I, I don't, I do not do QR codes. Like I hate my phone. Um, I, I, I try not to, yeah, I try not to use it. Uh, I've got a degoogled phone as well. And the guy throws a little piece of paper on the table, QR code. And I actually had my phone with me and it was on the table. And I just look at the guy, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I do you have a menu? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a menu. Like, so luckily they still had a physical menu. Some places don't, I just refuse to play the game. I'm not doing QR codes. You don't have a menu. Well, tell me from your memory what what's on your menu because <laughs> I'm going to make their <laughs> life um, difficult. So I'm one of those holdouts. But going back to the war thing, um, yeah, I, I wonder if in Alaska, do, do you fear the Russians being so close to to Russia? Ah, uh, not really. Uh, the 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 well, okay. So like the Japanese attempted to invade Alaska, and what they found very quickly is that. You can get to to the Aleutian Islands and you can get on the Aleutian Islands, but once you're there, where are you going to go? You have to go through the whole state to get to Canada. So you're sort of just in a position where I think people envision it like a battle map where there's like a trail that these guys are going to follow and walk through. But it's like, no, these are like mountain ranges that are like hundreds of miles across and like glaciers and stuff it's not like this very easy to move across uh, infrastructure and the highway systems um are all sort of owned by the federal government not only go one direction or the other so it's like those can be fairly easy easily destroyed or demobilized so that no one can really use them and then the whole state sort of just in stasis so from an invasion like standpoint other than just bombs being dropped or just general turmoil uh, I don't have much fear of that. Plus, it's like, I think one of the per capita most armed states and uh, per capita has the most pilots and privately owned aircraft. So it's like, you also just have a lot of people up here with money and toys. So it's like, uh, it's not not the, uh, you know, it's sort of in Texas's roadhouse in that way. Uh, similar, similar states. Yeah, I, I, I do like uh, video gaming when, whenever I can these days, not so much, but I, I had uh, the memory of Fallout 
three i'm a big fan of that game and there was a segment where the chinese invade through um anchorage uh, anchorage yeah through alaska <laughs> that was that was a fun segment but just uh further thoughts on well it's time for our break i do want to get more thoughts on foreign policy and uh, other stuff but people can uh, again follow you on uh, at x at liberty layton and, and uh, subscribe to outlawed thoughts on pentagon tube as i like to call it uh youtube we will be right back people might tell you that lime doesn't kill people but we are losing people people disappear from their lives one of the scariest things that i had to deal with was uh memory loss not just like i don't remember what i did last week but like i forgot all the words to my own songs i remember going to my primary care physician and he was like you are 100 healthy there's nothing wrong with you and my response was that's impossible i'm dying I wasn't working, so I had all of these hospital bills. We had to move out of our home and move into my parents' basement. I just wish I could have truly been present in those big moments, you know, when she took her first steps or, you know, her first day of preschool. Lyme is such a thief, and it goes undetected because no one is looking for it. For more information and prevention tips, go to projectlime.org. When a crisis hits, close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines, ready to serve, healing, nurturing, rescuing, protecting, inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations has never been more important and it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you, the Nonprofit Alliance. This is the Hervoy Moritz Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. So final segment here with Leighton Radner, Liberty Leighton on Twitter X, uh, Outlawed Thoughts. And just to go back to the foreign policy for a second, like, you know, most libertarians that I talk to are anti-war. I've, I've, uh, had on the this program most of the anti-war crew scott horton dave DeCamp, uh connor freeman uh kyle Anzalone. i can't remember <laughs> almost everyone's names but um just your further thoughts it seems like multiple fronts now are, are opening you know there's ukraine right in europe what's going on israel you mentioned uh there's fears now something might blow up in um taiwan and then you've got like you know venezuela talking about annexing its neighbor uh, rumblings again in the Balkans, Bosnia, Serbia, uh, Azerbaijan took back Nagorno-Karabakh, Karabakh, and it just seems like I've been likening this period of time to it's like the 1930s again, like pre-World War, um, like a hundred-year storm where all bets are off the table, and it looks like the psychopaths in Pentagon are, are, are just they're ready, willing, and able to start another global war. They they don't care about how many people um, die, and so just your for, further thoughts on where we are where we're going when it comes to these uh, you know to the geopolitical situation well i think it's uh it's probably smart for people to prepare for the fact that it might not even be in the military industrial complexes or the u.s military however you want to see it it might not even be in their control at this point uh and what what that means is you know you have to look at history and go you know you equated it to the 1930s and it's like well at what point could 
World War II or some massive conflict actually been stopped? You know, what, what would have had to have changed historically? And it's not really clear that anything in the last two years before the war, for instance, could have really changed anything. Those balls were already rolling, uh, as it were. And so I think something similar is played out here where the U.S. has uh, basically been top dog from a military perspective. They spent a lot of time going around all these other countries and instigating conflicts and funding uh, terrorist organizations, funding uh, groups that have brought uh, distress to, to innocent people in those areas. And so from a cultural perspective, I think we all know what that does, which is turns those people against not only the governments that are in power in whatever country they're in, but it turns them against the outside governments, the people that in the past may have been looked at as the, the ones who were going to help them. Uh, and so now I think you have a position where everybody is not only queued up to have some form of world war, but as we equated to before with some sort of civil war, what happens when you have a world war where the people don't support the militaries at all who are fighting them? Uh, and that's something we've never really seen, uh, at least not here in the West. So that's going to be something that's very wild to live through if it happens and see what <laughs> historically plays out there. Uh, but it's definitely crazy. And just on that note, I, I think that's an interesting point because, um, look, I, I a friend of a, a friend of mine just recently came across. I mean, we've been meeting here in, in, in Mexico Kazakhs, I, you know, I used to live in Kazakhstan and, and Russians and Ukrainians. And um, we met a Russian uh, who said that they don't want to go back to Russia. Like you're seeing Russians fleeing Russia. I think part of it is because, I mean, I view all governments as the same, all like just cartels, basically. And um, it's you know just the same reason that I'm fed up with my American government or my Mexican government or my Croatian government is the same reason the Russians fed up with their Russian uh, government. The grass is not greener on the other side, if you ask me. And so Russians are escaping Russia for economic reasons. They don't want to serve in the military, kind of like what, what you're talking about. Ukrainians are leaving Ukraine for that same reason. Uh, in America, we've got the lowest military numbers uh, uh, since 1940, I read recently. Uh, and so in America, people don't want to serve as well because they they know that their own government hates <laughs> hates them. And so what are the, you know, what are Putin, Xi Jinping and, and Biden going to do? They're just going to, is Skynet, I, you know, Skynet, I guess, is just going to become self-aware. They're going to duke it out with uh, nuclear hypersonics or, or, or what? Yeah, it, it, it seems to me that it's uh, almost an open playing field of sorts. You know, there, there isn't much uh, predictions to be made in the way of how things will play out at this point. It's almost just guessing, but I think the, uh, I think what will ultimately play out is you'll have a bunch of smaller conflicts like what we're seeing with Israel, with uh, with Ukraine, but that's going to keep kind of blowing up more and more. You're going to see more and more of these until eventually it just sort of boils over. And I think a lot of the culture side of that will shift via the political system. So here in the United States, you're going to have the election here in 2024, right? If, uh, if Biden, for instance... Uh, wins again, or if somebody in that camp of his sort of wins again, we can suspect that these wars aren't going to come to an end. In fact, they're probably going to transform into something a little more larger and, and on a more wide scale. 
I think somebody like Trump, um, like Vivek or any of these people who are on this right, um, as much as I disagree with a lot of their economic policies, with a lot of the stuff that they do, they're better on some of these issues, Vivek less so than Trump. And I, that's crazy to say, but I've heard Vivek say some wild things in regards to, to military stuff that Trump just has stayed out of, which I think he's smart to. Um, but I think there is something to be said about the the whole Republican trope that'll get played about uh, Trump not starting any new wars. And you do kind of look at that here and go, well, maybe somebody like him, again, with that whole accelerationist idea, you know, I don't think he's good for the country necessarily, but he might be better than Biden, but still able to move us closer to this sort of, uh, we have uh, to spin our wheels out and realize we screwed up kind of scenario. <laughs> so it's hard to say how things will play out. I think once 2024 happens, once the election happens, then people are going to, you're going to see a lot of this military stuff shift very quickly. Because that's the big deciding point. That's when the military can start doing things that they weren't before. Yeah, I was. I mean, I, I think people, whatever people think, it was impressive that Trump could just hop on over to, uh, you know, the border there between North and South Korea and just, or you know, meet with Kim Jong Un uh, and meet with. This is real diplomacy. This is what people should be doing. You know, uh, I almost went to. I had plans to go to North Korea, but for personal circumstances i couldn't make it uh i've got another passport besides the u.s passport because you're not allowed to travel on your u.s passport to north korea but you can if you have other ones and so um your thoughts then on the home front here you know another thing that i often worry about is the authoritarianism right you're now americans just average well-meaning innocent americans are being targeted for thought crimes for memes you know you had the Douglas what's his name posted a Hillary Clinton meme and was facing months in in prison um people being deplatformed uh, I just see this trend continuing um it's almost like we are in in the midst of a re revolution here in the U.S any thoughts on on the situation here and then you've got the border crisis as well you know I think it's um it's hard to say exactly what we're on the cusp of and what, what I mean by that is like uh, revolution is certainly what I would like to call it. And I'd like it to be that if we're going to be in something, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, I also think it's very possible that that turns into, again, civil war very quickly, which isn't necessarily going to lead to the outcome that a revolution might. Right. Um, and I think something people lose in all of this is that, um, you know, revolutions don't have to be violent. They just have traditionally been a little violent. And so uh, I think there's something to be said about um, maybe just our whole political structure being so screwed at this point that it's forced to change um, or that, you know, the people basically force it to change. And so I think any one of those things could be playing out. We could be in the midst of it, but it could also be that, um, you know, again, playing out some of these scenarios, if somebody say gets into the presidency that decides again, like you're uh, talking about before with thought crimes decides that certain things are gonna become less allowed than they were before. You see this crackdown, people go along with it. We watched that happen during COVID. And so, um, you know, they have that sort of testing ground to, to take some of those rights away from people. Maybe they do it again. And so I think people definitely need to be aware of that and keep 
sort of their guard up. How was the COVID dystopia in Alaska? I don't think I've ever heard anyone from Alaska. Like I was in Kazakhstan at the time and it was nuts. It was literally like they gave us a card that said you can't leave your home at all one day. And then there were police patrols on foot. And then you can only leave the, every other day. One person from the household with the card and only to the bank, pharmacy or uh, supermarket. You know, absolutely people getting fired for not taking the Pentagon juice, as I call it. I, I, in Alaska, did, was it relatively free or, or, or pretty harsh? Or maybe like if you were outside of the cities, you were kind of like whatever. Yeah, so similar situation as before. There's uh, there's some mandates that were passed in Anchorage, uh, which is the bigger city here in Alaska, um, that restricted some businesses as far as how uh, how many people they could have in the business. But um, as far as outside that city and like my city, which only has a population of a couple thousand people, um, we didn't have nearly as many restrictions. They did restrict um, occupancy of businesses. Uh, but that only lasted a few months before people got rid of it because it definitely angered the business owners. Uh, and so that that didn't stick around. Um, and then you, you did have some some random cities that would pass a mandate uh, and then get rid of it a few months later um, because people would start getting angry. Uh, but for the most part, I'd say it was better than 90 percent of the states. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're down two and a half minutes to uh, midnight. And, you know, any further thoughts on solutions? As you mentioned, you're um, involved with the libertarian movements. Um, I'll, you know, one solution people are doing is, is relocating. So people are just simply relocating to other states, Texas, uh, Florida, the American Redoubt, right? The Montanas, Dakotas, I think some people, maybe even Alaska, down here to Mexico, leaving the U.S. Uh, entirely. Uh, you know, any thoughts? Uh, on solutions, whether it's relocation or, or anything else we can do to sort of turn the ship around peacefully, nonviolently. So I think the biggest things would be if you're in a, a small community um, and if you're not in a small area, get to one. So that, that would be my biggest thing. Get out of cities. Um, if we're talking about relocation, you don't have to relocate out of state, right? Just look for an area that has a smaller population that's farther away from those metropolitan areas um, and then get involved in the local political system there, right? Because there's less people, it's more manageable. Typically in smaller areas, they have larger third party um, environments there too. So if that's something you're interested, in, but you know, work with whatever party is, is gonna get you elected if it means that you're gonna actually get some change made. And uh, the biggest advice that I have for people if they do do that is don't be afraid to play politics dirty at this point. Uh, we live in a world where these people are trying to take your money from you. They're taking your freedoms from you. Be prepared to play legally, but as dirty as you possibly can, because that's what you're going to have to do to actually win, secure victories and make changes in those areas. Some sound advice out of uh, Alaska. Um, we're just about out of time if you want to thank you for coming on great chat uh, tell us again where we can find you uh, in the metaverse as I like to call it so at Liberty Layton on X formerly Twitter and then over on YouTube it's uh, either at outlawed thoughts or youtube.com slash outlawed thoughts um, and that's that's pretty much it those are the two plugs I got all right. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, you're welcome back uh, anytime. And uh, I'm signing off. Steve Malsberg is up next. Be seeing you.